Hi, it's Leonard here and I have a quick but special note before we start today's interview. Do you know that most purchases are influenced by feelings and not facts? Research found that emotions drive over 95% of consumer decisions. So if you want to increase the sales of your CPG product, you must understand how consumers choose and buy better for you food or beverage brands. And this is exactly what we uncover in our new free ebook titled Cracking the Code How Consumers Choose Healthy Food and Beverage CPG Products. This has six core insights that will help you better understand your customers so you can improve your sales velocity, whether in your retail or e commerce platforms. Get a copy now by visiting thevineyardbc.com slash freebook. That's thevineyardbc.com slash freebook. Brandstar Goes Healthy features founders and CEOs of healthy food and beverage CPG companies who share their biggest successes, hardest failures, strategic learnings, and tactical tips so you can learn from them and help you avoid mistakes and instead succeed in building your own healthy food and beverage brands. If you lead a vegan, plant-based, organic, all-natural, functional, and other healthy food and beverage CPG company, then this show is for you. Hosted by Leonard Grape, founder and CEO of The Vineyard, the brand development company for the healthy food and beverage CPG industry. Hey everyone, it's Leonard here and welcome back to the Brand Start Goes Healthy podcast. Today, I'm talking to Clara Pay founder and CEO of Unite Food, a better-for-you protein bar brand with flavors that celebrate culture and nostalgia and with products that are gluten-free and made from wholesome ingredients. Clara, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Before we get going, can you please tell us a brief background about yourself and what you do? Sure. I am Clara Pay. I'm the founder of Unite. Um, We are globally-inspired protein bars. We launched in March of 2020, and our mission is to bring some fun and flavor and um, cultural inclusivity into the protein bar and wellness space. And so we've done that through our award-winning line of bars. Um, We have flavors like churro, Mexican hot chocolate, baklava, bubble tea, peanut butter and jelly. So really fun flavors and really different. That's something that I'd like to touch on later on. But for now, I'd like to ask this first official question, Clara. How did your brand start? I mean, when and where did you get the idea to start Unite? So it's a really funny question. I'm not from the food industry. I didn't grow up, you know, working in a big food brand like Unilever or Kellogg or anything like that. I come from my family business, which was plumbing, manufacturing and distribution. And so that business, you know, um, took me kind of around the world and uh, globally, but was a really busy job for me managing and running that business. And as such, when I became a mom, I really relied on quick meals or quick snacks to kind of get me through my work days so that I could get home, pick up the kids from school, do all those things. And so I found myself relying on protein bars more and more. And I was just like a lot of consumers out there, very confused about what was healthy, what was not, you know, which protein bar should I choose? And I would sit there in the aisle and just see thousands of options, it felt like. And But one thing that they all had in common was that they were the same flavors. They were always peanut butter or chocolate peanut butter or vanilla. Um, and they were just really um, created for people that maybe had a more American palate or just, you know, those flavors were just mainstream. And if you look back at my personal history, you know, I'm an immigrant, I came to the US at the age of five. So English is my second language. 
And having grown up in kind of an immigrant household, you know, there's a difference between the food that you eat inside your home and the food you eat outside your home. And so it struck me as odd, especially living in Southern California, where we're surrounded by cultural diversity in food and restaurants and flavor, that there wasn't more flavors available. And I started to think to myself, well, where's like, you know, the fun and where's like the churro bar? And so, you know, like a lot of entrepreneurs, I got started in my own kitchen. I didn't have a food background, like I said. So I just formulated a recipe that I thought I would like and my family would like. So, you know, went to a local grocery store and picked up some almond butter and dates and um, cinnamon and vanilla and just started playing around with the food and created kind of some original, I would roll them up into balls because I didn't know how to form Mm -hmm. them into bars, but I would make like these (laughs) little protein balls and shared them with my family and friends. And and I probably tried so many different flavors, um, but found ones that a lot of people liked, like churro and Mexican chocolate. And, um, you know, once I had kind of like a base recipe, I found a food scientist to help me make it and, you know, into the macros that I needed it to be. And that was kind of really the start was in my own kitchen. Interesting. And the flavors are actually something that I've taken note of while I was preparing for this podcast. Uh, I, I thought you had really wide variety of flavors uh, across your SKUs. So I'm interested also to ask, when you started, how many product items did you actually have? And tell us about how you expanded into additional SKUs. So we launched with three flavors. So um, churro, Mexican hot chocolate, and peanut butter and jelly. And we started with those flavors because where I'm from in Southern California, Hispanic, um, the Hispanic and Latin American influence is, is big. And my best friends happen to be from Spain and Cuba and Peru and Mexico City. And so I've just always been surrounded with Latinas. And so that probably influenced me the most. And so we started with like kind of the demographic of the most people that could benefit. And that was like really the Hispanic community. And so um, churro was like a no brainer for me because lots of people have had a churro, not just Hispanic people. And most people are familiar with that flavor. Mexican chocolate. Uh, I knew that a chocolate ski would be important to the assortment. And but I wanted it to be different. I didn't just want it to be like double chocolate or peanut butter chocolate. So, you know, Mexican chocolate is something that I love. I love, um, you know, I think spice brings a little bit of um, interest to chocolate. And so that one actually won a Sophie Award right when we launched it. So it was really well received. And then the last one, peanut butter and jelly, you know, I wanted to make sure that like um, my American heritage was also represented and nothing was more nostalgic to me than peanut butter and jelly. I mean, that was the snack that I got after school at my daycare was peanut butter and jelly on a cracker or that, you know, in college I would have as a kind of a quick meal, you know, Mm -hmm. at night or between classes inexpensive. And so those are the three. But whenever we pick a new flavor, it's important for me that it represents a, a variety of people. And more, a lot of people can relate to it. So our next two flavors were baklava, which baklava is eaten in the Middle East. It's eaten mm-hmm. in um, Turkey. It's eaten in Russia and Croatia. Like baklava is like a global flavor that lots of people have. It's not doesn't just represent one country or one people. Um, and the same with bubble tea. Bubble tea is like tied to Taiwanese culture. But really that milk and tea flavor is eaten in British culture. It's eaten in Middle Eastern culture. Like many people add milk. I grew up putting milk in my tea, you know, dipping a cookie with my mom. And so that milk tea flavor, we're, you know, we took advantage of the bubble tea popularity and like created something that nobody had ever tried to do before. Um, but it's important for us that they're um, relatable, culturally relatable. I love how even your product expansion seems to be very much in line with how you're trying to position your brand in terms of, you know, covering flavors throughout the globe. But I also know that 
as you expand into new product SKUs, it also requires capitalization. You have to take a look at your PNL. So just just a quick follow up. When you were strategizing on expanding your product lines, were there any key metrics that you had to take a look at aside from the strategic point of view that you want to tap other interests uh, across the market? You know, I think because we're doing something so different and new, it's not like I can say, oh, has a competitor done this and done it successfully? Or like, what are the trending flavors? And I feel like that's something that a lot of brands do do because they're just me too's and they just are interested in copying and they're after the end game of money. And we're really after the end game of inclusivity. Like our brand is Unite. Our mission is to bring joy and bring people together through food, using food as an instrument of inclusion. So it's important for me to like kind of make sure that like many different ethnic groups feel represented or feel seen in wellness. And so it wasn't so much of, you know, what it will make me the most money or what will drive profitability the most. I'm really starting at a very high level of just like um, fulfilling my mission of, of bringing people along. And I feel like money always follows. And so even today, there's been a lot of copycats of our flavors so far. Um, and so it's it's a compliment and it expands my mission. So, you know, it really, um, we're definitely sending, setting a trend. Great to hear that. It's really leading the, the pack, right? Um, rather than just copying. And it all boils down for me in terms of, of the brand, uh, because you mentioned a lot of key insights about this, and I want to reinforce it in this conversation. Uh, there are so many other protein bar brands in the market, as you alluded to earlier in this episode. So I'm curious to ask, in terms of brand and product positioning, just to reinforce this, how are you differentiating Unite Food? So I think our packaging is is really beautiful. And we were very thoughtful about how we positioned the package, because really, you know, that that two seconds, probably less, probably one second that you have to capture somebody's attention. I mean, your packaging has to do a lot of work for you. And so we like to stick out with our bright colors and global flavors. And really, um, because we're not copying, we're really, you know, carving our own identity. Um, you'll notice our packaging looks really different than most packaging. Yeah. So the ethos really is how do you create your own identity? And it's not easy to do right um and any it's thought so process easier. behind it oh, go yeah, ahead. I mean, it's so much easier to just copy right because that's how we're inclined to think especially today and like with social media and you can see what lots of people are doing and everybody wants to copy their favorite influencer or copy their favorite recipe you know there's very little original thought and i think that that's where the where the rewards really are right i think because i didn't create this brand from a random demographic. I didn't just like pick something out of the air. It really is from my own personal experience, right? I created for myself. I, I saw my own unmet needs, right, in this space. And so I think when you're coming from a spirit of creativity and originality, you know, you can you can be a leader and you can carve out that space. Um, but when you know, nobody needs the 100th version of a cookie dough protein bar, right? Like they already mm -hmm. exist. It's mm -hmm. been done. Find something new to do. Find a different way. I think that's a powerful statement, Clara. And as a brand practitioner myself in, in the CPG space, 
I want to always reinforce that fact that if you can do this in such a highly competitive category uh, in the CPG industry, there's a lot of other opportunities, right? You just have to, as you mentioned, you have to come from that originality mindset. But in your case, it, it's very intentional. You were focusing on a clear demographic. You were identifying an unmet need that you personally experienced. And have you seen this help in terms of the traction that you want for, for your company with all of these processes on the brand standpoint, Clara? Absolutely. I mean, if you talk to any buyer of a any sizable business, they'll tell you that they're looking for things that add value to their set. They're not looking for a substitute of what's already selling, right? They're looking for something that's going to bring a new customer or a new viewpoint. Um, and it can't just be original for weirdness sake, right? Like nobody, you know, I think it's been proven, like nobody wants to eat crickets in America you know, for protein <laughs> or something like that. Like, yes, you'll get your 20 minutes of fame, but I think, you know, you really need to um, to qualify what your intuition is telling you. Does the demographic support it? Does the, does Is there data that supports what you feel intuitively? And then just test. Many people told me nobody would buy these flavors or these bars, you know, nobody, you know, people only make vanilla and chocolate because that's what sells. And I just had a counter viewpoint. It's like, that's what sells because that's what's being offered. And so in that, you know, viewpoint has so far um, served me well. Yeah, I'd like to shift gears a little in our conversation, Clara, from brand to sales. Sure. Like, which sales channels are, are driving growth for Unite? Uh, a majority of our sales come from like mass retail channels, so large customers um, like Sprouts and Target, and we're in a rotation at Costco. We were on shelf at Walmart. Um, so large mass retailers have understood our mission and understood um, what we're building very early on. Did you start with direct-to-consumer at the beginning, Clara? Yes, because I launched in March of 2020. So there was no opportunity to pitch any kind of retailer. And I didn't know anybody in the food industry in March of 2020. I knew very few people. And so really, I took to our website to try to build awareness and traction. But during the pandemic, um, people were staying home, but they weren't eating protein bars. Really, the protein bar category got hit very significantly because people were, which they should, were cooking their meals from scratch and making their snacks. We weren't on the go. We weren't traveling. We weren't going you know, for drives in our car for far places, everyone was just kind of hunkering down. And so that was a really hard channel to build, but we did get some traction there. And then we were really lucky that we got a lot of um, press and media attention very quickly, very early on. And so it really um, catapulted the brand and gave us opportunities to tell our story. Was that an intentional marketing effort from your end? Uh, or did me just really pick up because of the uniqueness of what you're trying to do? Yeah, I mean, we didn't have a big marketing budget. So we just put a press release together talking about our brand and um, food and beverage magazine picked it up. You know, I think one of the editors saw it on LinkedIn and we were on the cover of food and beverage magazine by June of that year. And it said, Unite Diversity is Delicious. And they did a two page article on the brand, which is just, you know, divine providence, like unheard of that something like that could happen to a brand our size at our scale. And that's the thing, because you you really were intentional in terms of how you want to position your product. And it's so much more than just a protein bar. You're talking about uniting different cultures. You're talking about, you know, being one with the rest of the world. And I think that really helps with with a brand, especially in such a hyper-competitive space like CPG, right? Uh, but a little more on the on the retail side, because you mentioned that this is one of your major sales channels. But 
I also know that it's it takes so much uh, for a for a brand, especially for an early stage product like yours to get into retail. So in your experience, Clara, what were some of the key things that you had to prepare and you had to do to get your product into retail? Hey there, we're pausing a bit for a quick break. Most unsuccessful CPG brands don't have product problems. They have messaging and marketing problems. Your product quality is great, but have consumers learned enough about it? Your product tastes delicious, but are you driving product trials so they can taste it? Your product is healthy and functional, but have you built enough awareness about its benefits? If you feel you have a great product, but your sales say otherwise, then you need to move from unclear to powerful messaging, from weak to effective marketing. This is where we can help you through our four quadrants of CPG brand development. If you need some support, don't hesitate to reach out. Just head on to www.thevineyardbc.com. That's www.thevineyardbc.com. Now, back to the conversation. Well, you got to do your basics. So you have to have a good sell sheet. You have to have, um, you know, good sales representation of, you know, sales management that will represent you well. A good broker for specific retailers is important. Um, People that will um, give brand equity to you, right? Like when you're a startup brand, you know, um, these large retailers, they want to know that there's people that know what they're doing behind the scenes. And so I think what really prepared me the most was actually my previous business. So we did uh, mm. business with Home Depot and Lowe's. And so I knew how big box retailers thought and I knew how important it was to get product to them on time and in full. And I knew how to do that from my distribution experience. And I think that that's like a big knowledge gap for a new startup that doesn't hasn't ever distributed a physical product is understanding how important that shelf space is to the retailer and how every minute you're out of stock cost, can cost them hundreds and thousands of dollars. So having good inventory, um, investing in inventory, investing in, you know, your distribution network is really important. That's that's the key ethos also that uh, we usually say that you, you don't want to go to retail for the sake of expansion. Because once you go to retail unprepared, it could backfire, right? Uh, and, and you just alluded to this, that not just in terms of the brand standpoint, uh, not just in terms of the sales channels, but the actual operational capacity. Uh, in your case, uh, did you have to like expand or did you look for a co-manufacturer? How, how does it look like for you? Yeah, we have a co-manufacturer, so we're not making the product ourselves, which helps a lot. Um, and then we have a good distribution partner that distributes the products for us. So I didn't have to like build a giant warehouse. You know, we could leverage their network. Yeah, okay. Great to note. Uh, in, in terms of growth, uh, you started in March 2020. That's that's a really difficult time to start a company, right? Um, but but it seems like you've been getting traction. So I'm curious to ask, what has growth been like for you? Uh, and if you can share anything in terms of how you're envisioning profitability horizon for Unite in the coming years. Yeah, I mean, we went from zero to about 4,000 doors over the past three years. And so... And really in year two and three is when that picked up, when every, when buyers started taking meetings again and opening um, up their doors. Um, and for us, the growth has been very um, quick. So I think that that always sucks 
profitability and sucks capital out of the business because you're constantly investing in inventory and investing in marketing and sales. Because once you get on the shelf, that's the beginning, as you know, and you have to like make sure that people know about you and get it off the shelves. And so for us, you know, I have been investing in this business because I believe in its mission and I believe um, that there are many people that can benefit from wellness that just haven't been invited in yet. And I want everyone to feel like they have a seat at our table. And so um, as far as profitability, I mean, we're like many CPG brands where we dip in and out of profitability depending on the month and depending on the expenses, but we lead a, you know, we're very lean. And I believe that a lot of um, velocity can come from just having a really great product. And so that, that is like step one, make sure your product is the best that it can be, because that's really what starts that um, multiplier effect. Yeah, and I've heard this so many times as well, Clara. And I know it's, it's tough, right? Like you believe in something that's, that's really working and can have a huge impact not just for yourself, but mainly to the market that you're serving. But what's the mindset in, in that space? Meaning, like, if you're looking at reinvesting a lot of the things, uh, you're seeing some, some obviously, some forecasts on when you can really regain a lot of the investment. But how are you managing that, Clara? Like, you'll have to infuse this um, cash, but you have to believe also that this is something that can happen. Uh, anything on that, Clara? Yeah, I mean, I think it's, from, you know, my goal to get the company to a stage where, um, you know, I can finance it through commercial lines of credit and not through, you know, venture capital. And really that's the way I financed my family business. And that's we, how we were financed. We never took outside capital or investments. And so, you know, having that and, and growing slowly, right. And growing, I already, you know, I'm kind of contradicting myself saying we grew fast. It's true, but also being really strategic about which accounts you go into, what is the profitability horizon on, on each account by account basis, which accounts are strategic to the mission and the goal who will really come alongside and support and multiply the effect. Um, so it's, it's really, um, it's tough. It's a tough, you know, I, I haven't raised money. I, it's just all been personally funding the business. Um, it's tough to like take that risk, but I think we've seen enough positive momentum in our space and in our um, in our brand that it's worth the investment to me. And so, you know, there's a good business takes at least seven years to build, right? And so we're halfway there. And so I, you know, I, I really believe that like, seven is a really important number yeah and that's considered a perfect number depends on who you're talking to but i personally believe that that's a really good number and thank you for sharing that it's such an important context for other cpg founders to know that you know a lot of the first few years would be about learning and then really testing the market getting a feel of where your brand can go and reinvesting a lot of things because this is a highly capital intensive business, right? So I really appreciate you sharing that, uh, Clara. But uh, a couple more questions be before we wrap things up. You've been, I think, one of the more inspiring brands that I've been seeing so far uh, in terms of the better for you space. Uh, and I wanted to ask this question. What do you think so far, looking back in your experience and looking forward to where you want to go, what do you consider as the most difficult aspect of building and growing an early stage Better For You CPG brand? I think what's really difficult is that, you know, as a Better For You small brand, you're competing against giants, right? And you're really competing for 
just a few points of market share, but they have data that you don't have. They have insights that you don't have. They have budgets that you don't have. And so what I do on instinct is what they do after much more analysis. And that can be a double-edged sword. So because I don't have bureaucracy to deal with, I can move faster. I can innovate more, right? And I can be be the first. Um, but you get to a stage where you're like, gosh, I need that data, but it's just so cost prohibitive that you're having to be scrappy. And, and that actually makes you stronger. You can get, you know, how can you get access to the same insights, the same data or similar um, in non-traditional ways? Yeah, thanks for that. Uh, I'd like to do a quick recap of some of the insights and highlights from this conversation, Clara, before I ask the final question and as we work towards wrapping up. Uh, the first one really is how you very much strategically used product development as a core I, a core part of your brand development as well. Uh, you mentioned when you started with just three products, immediately each product is sort of addressing a certain demographic and three things that I got from your process really be one, start with demographic, Second is focus on assortment. Try to be an original. See see what's messing out in, in the space that you want to dominate. And then third, you have to combine product offer plus emotional benefit. Because I love it when you mention, like, for example, you'll use this certain product flavor, but it's not just the unique flavor that comes with it. It's the experience that comes with the demographic that you're trying to to address with that product, right? And then in your case, when you start a brand and when you grow a brand, know your end game. In your case, it's really all about uniting people, having a deeper brand sense, and offering a meaningful product that addresses a real problem. And it's always powerful when an entrepreneur comes out of the market with a real personal problem. In your case, as a mom, you relied on quick meals, and so you were relying more and more on protein bars. But you wanted something that's not just a protein bar, but something that's more vibrant and flavorful and fun, right? And in terms of differentiation, I think the number one thing that I got from you is really in terms of the product quality and flavors. There are there may be a thousand other protein bars in the market, but you knew how to address certain demographics and you, you knew how to leverage product flavors. But at the same time, in terms of the tactical point of view, you made sure that your packaging can capture attention. So it's a major strategic differentiation that you had to, to do. And so you had bright design and dynamic flavors, right? Uh, and then in terms of how you expanded into retail, it's it's very strategic for me to note that you have to focus on how you can add value. Uh, you know, you want to be original, but not just for weird, weirdness sake, but, you know, instead focus on the audience and then test it. And when you're doing your sales channels pitch, you have to make sure how important it is for, for the actual retailers also to offer something new. Uh, you may start with direct-to-consumer as your strategy to build awareness, but I think, as you mentioned, mass retailers is really one of the ways to go. And when you're starting, focus on how you can leverage publicity through PR. Uh, I haven't seen a lot of DTC, uh, early-stage CPG brands, rather, that's trying to leverage PR. Uh, so I think that's a really good one. You just came out with the press release. But the thing with Unite is you have a story to tell. So I think that's the, another part of it. And when you think about getting into retail, you have to start with your basics. Be good with your sales sheet. Have a good sales representation. And I like the approach that when you do consider working with other experts in the field, it has to be all about getting brand equity for you. Uh, but you also can't come into the game with that without any distribution knowledge because you need to understand that, right? Uh, in, in terms of growth trajectory, I want to reinforce that 
that context that you mentioned, it usually takes seven years to build a really good and stable business, but you can grow quick. But as you grow, you also have to grow slowly. That's the paradox in it by making sure that every account that you consider taking on has to be strategic in a sense that you'd understand what's the velocity that you're looking at in that note, what demographic are you looking to expand into there. And finally, the most difficult aspect that you mentioned is really competing against giants. But the other perspective that you mentioned there is you can leverage being small to your advantage by the sense of moving faster, innovating more, and really having that more personal touch on how you focus with your consumer. Is that a fair recollection of some of the insights that you mentioned, Clara? I am so impressed that you did that so well. That's perfect, Leonard. Good job. Yeah, thank you for that. Um, For a final question, I, I want this to be more on the personal side, Clara. You shared how you started not really being in, in the food space. You were managing a different business before this, but it's such an inspiration because you seem to be, you know, really doing a lot of strides here. But I also want to ask this, what is your number one motivator that keeps you going? Because we all know that there's going to be a lot of hurdles. There's a lot of ups and downs that come with the, being a CPG founder. So what's your number one motivator, Clara? So I feel like business can be a source for good and you can use your business to impact many more people than going into politics, for example, or doing something better with your life. I got to a point in my life at the age of like, you know, 40 years old that I thought to myself, like, okay, this next chapter, like of my life, I want it to be something really meaningful, where I can impact a lot of people. And on the days that are the hardest, the days that you feel like, okay, I really, you know, I'm hitting a wall here with something. I think about somebody in my future, a cause, a person, it's just an ambiguous person in my future that is counting on me today to not give up, right? Because I'm going to impact that person's life. And I know that they're depending on me um, to just keep going. And, you know, the path always appears. Always when, you know, you feel like there's no way around an obstacle, if you're diligent and you persevere and you really think creatively, there is always a path forward. And it's up to you to not give up. And that's so much easier said on a podcast than done in real life, right? It's it's success. I think Winston Churchill said, success is going from failure to failure without losing enthusiasm, right? And that without losing enthusiasm is the hardest part. It's so hard to get punched in the face and get back up. But that's what, um, you know, the entrepreneurs that make it, it's because they can can take the punches and keep going. And that's, I dig deep into my optimism, deep into my faith, even into my, you know, support and to know that like, I'm really doing something for that's beyond just money. You know, it's really to change and improve people's lives. 100%. That's very powerful. And thank you for sharing that, Clara. This has been great, but I'd like us to work towards wrapping up now uh, by going to the last segment of the show, which I call the finish line. It's okay. basically the lightning round where I have five questions that I want you to answer as concise as possible. Are you game, Clara? Got it. First one, name a characteristic that an entrepreneur must have to succeed. Great. Book or podcast that you want to recommend for entrepreneurs to read or listen to? How I Built This by Guy Raz podcast. Third one, what is one thing that you fear the most as a founder? Not balancing well. 
Okay. I think there's a lot into that. The next one is, if you're not an entrepreneur now, Clara, what do you think would you be instead? An interior decorator. Oh, wow. That sounds interesting. And finally, I want you to complete this sentence. Success is? Not giving up. Wow, that's really powerful. Thank you so much, Clara, for your time and for being so kind and generous in sharing your story and insights. But before I let you go, can you please tell us where is the best place for people to learn about you and Unite? Uh, Come to our website, unitefood.com. You can find our store locator and hear more of our story. Yeah, we'll make sure to link those up in our show notes. And once again, Clara, thanks for being here and may God bless you. Hey there, CPG founders. Are you tired of trying to figure out what's really driving consumers to choose and buy better-for-you food and beverage CPG products? If you answered yes and want to get into the minds and hearts of your customers, then we have something for you. You should check out our free ebook, Cracking the Code, where you can find six core insights that motivate consumers to buy products like yours. This is available for a limited time only, so be sure to get your copy now. Go to your browser and type in thevineyardbc.com/freebook. That's thevineyardbc.com/freebook.